Island of Misfit Toys. Boy, if there was ever a more accurate description of Action Church, I haven't heard it. That's what we are. We wear that with a badge of honor. We wear that as a compliment. And, uh, man, I love this church, and I'm proud of this church. And along those lines, let me remind you, I forgot to this during the announcements, at 2.30 today, we're going to be doing a memorial service for Chuck. Many of you knew Chuck is the older gentleman that always was out in the lobby. Um, he said he was working security. I always said he was sleeping. But uh, nevertheless, I have no doubt that had someone busted in the church, he would have woke up, and we would have been safe. But Chuck passed away about a month ago, and Chuck came to our church about three years ago after his wife died, and he had nowhere to go, and he was going to a counselor, and the counselor said, man, you need to go check out Action Church, man. You need to be around some people that will love you and accept you right where you are. And Chuck was part of our family ever since. And uh, Chuck doesn't have a lot of family. He's got a few kids, and they go to church here. And, uh, man, we're going to honor him today. It's just going to be real informal, real quick. And, uh, but, man, Chuck was worthy of honor. He was part of our family. And so if you have nothing to do today around 2.30, come back and join us, man, because that's, that's what family is about. And, man, I love this family, and um, last week we started this series, and we talked about the fact that those that are used by God oftentimes just simply don't realize how special they are. As you flip through the pages of the Bible, you'll see great men, you'll see great women doing great things, but the kicker is those people never sought out greatness. They're not who we would look at and say, man, that person is going to achieve amazing things. That person has it all together. That person is who I look to. Man, when I'm looking for a leader, that's the person I would be looking for. It's almost as if it was accidental that these people were used. The reality is no one sets out to be a misfit. It just happens. And we're in good company today. Because God can use this group of people to change our community. The Bible says he used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God looks at it and he says, I'm not looking for the most qualified. I'm looking for the most available. He's looking for those that have a past where he can use them in the present. He's looking for people that in the middle of their mess, he said, man, I'm going to use that mess and it's going to be your greatest minute. He said, I'm looking for those that are broke, busted, and disgusted, and think that nobody could ever have a purpose for them. And he says, that's the people that I'm looking to use. The reason the church today, and I believe this with all my heart, I, the reason the church, Big C, the, the church in general in North America is so ineffective, the reason the church in North America is in decline, and it's in the, the most rapid decline ever in history, church attendance is on a downfall all over the country. The reason the church is so ineffective and is in decline is because we're only willing to use those who appear to have it all together. you got to look like we look and act like we look and think like we think and dress like we think and believe like we believe and love who we say you ought to love. And if you don't... I would expect that from Party, but Party's not here. The Party Junior over there. Hope his guitar works on the last song. 
Welcome to Action Church. <laughs> we live in a day and time where if you don't cross every T and dot every I like we think you ought to do it, then the church looks at you and tells you, God can't use you. And the problem with that is, as I read the Bible, I just simply don't see that. I, I don't see a God who used people who had it all together. I, I see a God who used flawed people to do great things. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. In this room today is the ability, the talent, and the skill to bring thousands of people to Jesus. In this room today is the people that could bring about a Jesus movement inside of our county. I did not say a church movement. Someone asked me this last week and I understood their heart was in the right place and I went to breakfast and they said, they said well, do you want to build the church? And I looked at him and said, no. He said, what? I said, man, well, I'm not looking to build a church. I said, but I'm also not looking not to build a church. I said, but, but if by building a church you mean taking the world's principles and turning the church into a business, I'm just not interested in it. But if God wants to send thousands of people through that back door, then we'll get thousands of seats for them to sit in. And we'll keep doing what we've been doing for 11 years, and we'll keep reaching the people we've been reaching. But we're not going to water down our message. We're not going to change who we feel God has called us to be to grow the church. It's not our job to grow the church. Christ said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's the problem. It's not our job to build the church. It's God's job to build the church. And that's why we have so many huge churches around nowadays that you literally never even hear about when it comes to the community because God didn't build the church. The people built the church. It's God's job to build the church. And this room today is the people who can end hunger in our community. In this room today is the people who can end homelessness in our community. In this room today is the people who can declare a war on addiction. In this room is literally the people who can change this community for the better. It's not government's job to change the community. It's the church's job. The problem is the people in this room have been told for so long, you're not good enough to be used by God. You don't know enough to be used by God. You've screwed up too much to be used by God. But this book says something totally different. Last week, we looked at a dude named Moses. And I talked about how we allow as humans our insecurities to keep us from being used by God. Today, we're going to jump forward about 40 years in the same story. And we're going to look at a lady named Rahab. Let me give you a little bit of background here. Last week, if you remember, I told you the children of Israel were in captivity to Egypt. God sent a man named Moses 
He said, go and set my people free. Moses battled. He was insecure. He had self-doubts. He said, man, I'm not the person to be used. Moses had a past. He had murdered somebody, and he didn't want to return to that land. And God said, you're who I've called. And God sent him back, and he set the people free. He was to take the people out of Egypt and take them to a place that God called the promised land. The promised land was about 40 days' journey from Egypt. So as they left Egypt, a little over a month later, they should have been to the land that was promised to them. Forty years later, they're still out in the wilderness. They still have not claimed the land that God had promised to them. Because of their sin, because of their doubt, because they wanted to do things themselves in their own way. Boy, we're not ever guilty of that, are we? Because they knew better than God, the 40-day journey had turned into a 40-year journey. Moses actually never even got to enter into the promised land. He died before they got there. After Moses died, they put a guy named Joshua in charge. The leader died, the vision didn't. Don't ever miss that. The vision was still to claim the promised land. After 40 years, God gives Joshua the go-ahead to claim the land he promised them. But now, because of their disobedience, the land wasn't just going to be given to them. They had to go to war to take the land. One of the biggest battles they would have to overcome was taking over a city called Jericho. Jericho was surrounded by huge, massive walls. The walls offered protection. It made it almost impossible to defeat them in battle. So Joshua, being the great military leader he is, before he decides to go to war with Jericho, he says, man, we're going to send two spies into Jericho. I want to get a lay of the land. I want to see what we're facing. They didn't have drones back then. They didn't have infrared back then. They couldn't get data. They couldn't pull satellite images. So they send these two spies into Jericho. And when they get in the city, they go and they stay with this chick named Rahab. The king hears that they're there. He hears that they have breached the walls and they are now inside the cities. He hears they are staying with the lady named Rahab. And so he sends soldiers to the house of Rahab. We'll get to this later, to the business of Rahab. And Rahab actually lies and protects the spies. In return for their safety, in return for the loyalty or the obedience that Rahab did in protecting the spies, the Israelites spare the life of Rahab. They spare the life of her entire family when they go and they defeat Jericho. They let Rahab know, you will not be harmed your family will not be harmed. Bring everybody into your house. And when we tear the walls down, God will not tear this portion of the wall down. Whoever is in your home will be safe. Rahab goes on in the Bible, as you study it out, to be one of the greatest people of faith in all the Bible. She becomes a non-Jew. Rahab, a non-Jew, goes on to marry a guy named Samuel. He has a son named Obed. Obed marries a lady named Ruth. They have a grandson named David. David becomes king. And Matthew, she's actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus. This lady, who took two spies in, protected them, lied to the king, 
goes on to be a huge integral part in the history of some of the greatest leaders ever. There would be no King David without Rahab. There'd be no genealogy of Jesus without Rahab. She's a major player in the Bible. Now, based on what I've told you about her, you would think that she was a perfect woman. You would think she was a woman who had it all together. You would think that she was a godly woman. You would think she got up every day and she read the law and she believed in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and she knew when the spies came in that that's who they were and that she would protect them. (laughs) But you'd be missing out on truly who Rahab is. Throughout the Bible, you see her become many different things, but the first thing we're going to look at first is Rahab, the call girl. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. They went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Rahab, the one who saved the spies. Rahab, who was spared when Jericho got destroyed. Rahab, who goes on to marry a man who has a child, who has another child, who becomes David of David and Goliath, David of King David, of David of one of the greatest kings to ever live. Rahab, who goes on to be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, started her life as a call girl. She's mentioned seven times in the Bible, and five of those seven times she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. Or Rahab the harlot. She sold her body for money. Not only did she sell her body for money, it would appear she was well known for her profession because she was labeled by her profession. Normally, we don't label people by their jobs. We don't say, man, hey, there's Steve the car salesman. There's Pete the plumber. Hey, look at that, that's Sally the teacher over there. Nobody ever introduces me as Gary the preacher. When they're bad, they call me preacher man, but no other time. Man, hey, have you met Doug the Builder? But when the Bible talks about Rahab and it identifies Rahab, she was so known in her profession that she's labeled by her actions. She's known by her mess. She's known by her disgrace. She's living a hopeless life. She's literally living a life where people use her simply for her body. I would imagine she felt worthless, looked down upon. In that town, she was probably considered a second-rate citizen. I would imagine in a town like this back in those days, when you're the prostitute in town, every woman in town hates you, and every man in town treats you like trash. I can't imagine that she was a woman of strong self-esteem. She probably didn't look in the mirror 
and feel good about herself. It's a proven fact. Studies have shown that women in the sex industry have low self-esteem. They feel worthless and they're insecure more than other people not in the industry. You go back to this day and time where women were 100% second-rate citizens to start with. Add the fact to that that she was known as the prostitute, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. And I would imagine she's about as low on the totem pole as you could be. She's not who you would think about God using to protect his people. If you looked over the landscape of the city, I believe you would try to find a little more influential people to help your people. But God looked down and he saw the prostitute and he said, that's who I'm going to use. I have a plan for her life. I have a purpose for her life. I have a passion for what she's going to do. And the reality is today, we snub our nose, but she's a picture of every one of us here today. She simply was a sinner. She had made some poor choices along the way. She was a flawed individual. She is someone who had made some bad choices and probably would love nothing more than to go back in time and change those choices. But now she is where she is. It's easy to stub our nose at that. It's easy to look down at that. But we forget the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Let me educate you on something here. There's not a person here today who is perfect. There's not a person here today who has it all together. I always get a kick out of it. We love to gossip about other people. What is so-and-so thinking? What is so-and-so doing? I don't understand what so-and-so's doing. Here's the reality. We don't understand what you're doing. It's always funny to me. Those who don't have it together the most criticize others the most. I don't know if, it, if it's a diversion to get the attention off of us. We justify our sin and judge others by their sin. Did you hear about so-and-so? What did you hear about you? Like the arrogance and judgmentalism is something that I will never understand. Rahab, she has a hopeless profession. But on top of that, she's now living in a hopeless city. She literally lived in a city that was slated for destruction. God had already told Joshua that Jericho's walls would fall. I would assume that the people behind the walls felt safe behind the walls. They felt confident behind the walls. But God had already passed sentence upon them and they were doomed for destruction. The people of Jericho might not have understood the destruction that was coming, but they were doomed nonetheless. Some of you are there today too. You live in a hopeless surroundings. You're defeated. You're beat up. Maybe you think you're in a hopeless marriage. You've done everything you know to do to make it right, but for whatever reason, there's just no love there anymore. You dread going home. 
You're going through the motions. You're putting in the work. You're putting the fake smile on your face. But you can't wait for the alarm clock to go off every morning where you can leave and get out of the house away from that person. You're in a hopeless situation. Some of you go every single day and you go to a job that you despise. You're in a hopeless job situation. Some of you feel like you have no friends today. You look around your life and you're like, man, I'm alone in this world. You're in a hopeless situation. So here's Rahab, hopeless profession, hopeless situation, and yet God's getting ready to do something huge in her life. Though she was a call girl, I find this amazing. Though she was a call girl, she was exactly who God needed to fulfill his mission. Let me make something very clear to you. We don't get to pick and choose who God uses. You are not judge and jury. Thank God. I just don't like how someone... Who cares? Again, we don't like how you... X, Y, Z. You know what that person did? I do know what that person did. But did you forget what you do? She was the perfect person. Think about it for a minute. God sends two spies into the land. They're outsiders. They're checking out the landscape of everything, and they need a place to hide. They need a place to go unnoticed. They need a place that no one's going to think it's odd as outsiders as they enter into the city gates that they went there. Brothel was the perfect place. Back in those days, you would travel days and months even between cities. Men would get to a town. Men got needs. They've been on the road. They're hungry. They need to get cleaned up. And they need some brown chicken brown cow. They're going to the brothel. Nobody thought anything about these two men going to the brothel. If we were God, we would have probably used someone else. And we'd have screwed up. We would have looked for some type of believer to help the people of God. God said, no, this is the perfect place for them to go. God needed a harlot for his purposes. God could never use me. You don't know what I did in the past. You're right, I don't know. But you might be exactly who God needs. Your past, your mistakes, your whatever it was might be the perfect thing to come along and impact somebody's life that I could never impact. I might not be able to relate to those people or understand what they're going through, but God says, you do. The problem is you're not willing to be used because you're living in your guilt You're living in your shame. You're living as a victim instead of a victor that realizing Christ has forgiven you and now wants to use you. She was the call girl. The biggest enemy, the biggest lie that the enemy tells us is that you can't be used because of your label. 
God didn't look at him and see a harlot. God didn't look at him and see a prostitute. God doesn't look at him and see an addict. God doesn't look at him and see a divorcee. God doesn't look at him and see a hothead. God doesn't look at him and see a gambler. God doesn't look at him and see a drunk. God doesn't look at him and see a single mom. God doesn't look at him and see a high school dropout. God doesn't look at him and see a crook. God doesn't look out and see an adulterer. God looks out and says, hey, I've got a mission, and I need somebody to go fill the gap in that mission, and this is who I want to use. I simply need you to be available, and you're not willing to be available. The church has beat you down. The church has told you that you've got to be perfect. The church has told you that you've got to have it all together. The preacher has got up on stage and literally lied to you, acting like he is flawless when he's as screwed up as you are. I'll never forget when I got in ministry and all of a sudden I'm going off of preachers and I thought, man, I would go off of these preachers and angels would follow alongside of us and sing and it would be just the most amazing thing. And I'm like, they're as screwed up as I am. At that time, they were a little more screwed up than me because I was on fire. I was a new Christian and full of uh, fantasies about ministry. God looks out and he's looking for someone who's willing to be used for his purposes. It's always funny. Someone will step up around here to serve and they'll get plugged in or they'll take over a certain area. Someone will come to me like, you sure you want them there? Yeah, Why? Well, I mean, do you know about blam, blam, blam? I'm like, who cares? They're pouring coffee. They're saying hello to someone when they walk through the door. I'll never forget a few months ago, someone wanted to volunteer in the kids' area, and the kids' area is one of the areas that we do background checks on people. I said, hey, I need you to do this background check, and they got real weird. I said, you got a record? Yeah. I said, okay. I said, did you ever touch kids? No. Okay. You ever beat up on your spouse? Of course not. I said, then you're qualified. They said, but I, I need you to understand what I did. I, said, I don't care what you did. I said, have you ever touched kids? You just asked me. I said, well, I'm asking you again. No. I said, have you ever beat up on your spouse? No. I said, then you're qualified. But, but I have a felony. I said, is your felony in touching kids? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I said, is your felony in beating up your spouse? No. But I've got more than one felony. I said, last time, are any of those felonies touching kids? This guy's getting mad. Now, no. Any of those felonies beating up your spouse? No. So then I don't care. Police report comes back. 13 felonies. Lots of drug charges. They're qualified. If I eliminated everybody in this church with a record... then nobody would serve anywhere, including the preacher's wife. (laughs) 
I went to him and said, man, you got a lot of felonies. I told you. I said, that was 21 years ago. Yeah. And I said, you think God can't use you? Who cares? This is what he said. I just wanted you to know because the last church that I went to, they found that out and wouldn't let me serve anywhere. Oh. Here. Don't be passing out drugs at the front door when you're greeting them. We're good. We got a blind man who's a greeter. Can't even see people when they're walking up. Golly. God looks out. He doesn't see a call girl. He sees someone who's uniquely positioned to do what he needs them to do. God doesn't care about your past. Yes, he says, I've forgotten your past as far as the east is from the west. Do you know if you go as far east, you'll never loop around and get, become a west? It just goes on forever. Says, That's how far your sin is. He said, I choose to not remember your sin. Think about that for a minute. You're remembering something that God chose to forget. You're bringing it up to him. He's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you did that? I don't even remember. And yet you're sitting on the sidelines not willing to be used. And the church is putting people on the sidelines that, are not, that want to be used, but they're not willing to use them. Something's wrong. Something's messed up. Something's broke. This is not supposed to be a place of perfection. It's supposed to be a beautiful mosaic of broken pieces that makes this beautiful picture when they come together as the body of Christ. So the Bible shows us Rahab the call girl, but then you go on and read and you'll see Rahab the change girl. Joshua 2 says, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the man set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Rahab was a prostitute. She was the call girl. But she met these men and she knew there was something different about these men. She could sense in them there was something different. They weren't there for a good time. They were there for a mission. They carried themselves different. You don't think the people of Jericho had heard the rumors of the Israelites who had got rid, had escaped from Egypt? You don't think that she had heard the rumors of the Red Sea swallowing up the Egyptians? You don't think she heard about the nation that was living out in the wilderness and advancing towards her hometown? 
You don't think she looked out and had seen the hand of God over and over and over and over, and now here they are, and they're standing before her, and she realizes that the rumors were true, that God was going to give her land to these people, and she immediately realized who the true God was, and she realized she needed to protect these people. She was no longer the call girl. She was the changed girl. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. All who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. She said, we know the rumors. We have heard how the Lord dried out the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, Our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. She said, I have seen the great works. I have heard the great things. And there's no way that your God is not the God. And I want to be part of what God is doing. She says, I see the evidence. And I know she had to have some doubts in the back of her head. She had to say, but can that God use someone like me? She knew that Jericho didn't stand a chance. But then she declares the God of Israel as the living God. And her life has changed. Let me educate you on something real quick. You cannot truly meet God and stay the same. That doesn't mean you'll become perfect. It doesn't mean you will not mess up along the way. But you cannot meet God and stay the same. He will radically change your life. It doesn't mean you become perfect, but it means the desires in your heart change. Your purpose changes. Your goals change. Your calling changes. Notice she just didn't hear the word. She heeded the word. She took it to heart. We've got a lot of people in our churches today who hear the word and they come week after week after week after week after week after month after month after year after year and they go back and they live like hell all week long. The church is the fakest place in the world. Sunday morning is literally the fakest place in the world. We put our mask on and we come and we play the game of religion. Instead of living the life of a relationship that has changed us. I gave my life to Christ almost 26 years ago and I have never gotten over what he did. In my darkest hour, I knew he was still God. When I had lost everything, I knew that God still had a calling on my life. Calling of God is irrevocable. But Gary, God changed you. Old things passed away. You're a new creation. What people might have known you as before, they don't know you now. They don't get to speak into your life anymore. And they'll try to speak into your life because they're still miserable. They'll try to take you back to what you used to be because they never left there in the first place. They can't rejoice with you as you change because they're still bitter at themselves because they're still losing at life. 
If they were to honor you and your change, it would mean they would have to accept the fact that they haven't changed. God changed you, and it's radical. Billy Graham said the biggest mission field in America is the church on Sunday morning. Church is full of people who show up out of duty instead of calling. They fulfill their obligation. They come because they think they're supposed to come. But they don't come to be transformed by what's taught. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me. I know what you said. First of all, I didn't say anything. The one thing you can't say about me is I don't use Bible to back up what I preach. So if I preached it from this stage, God said it. I know what you said, but I don't know that that applies. You're right. You're the only person who it doesn't apply to. I get that that works for a lot of people, but my, my, my situation's unique. No, you're just arrogant. And you probably never entered into a relationship with Christ, and that's why there's no desire for change in your heart. You can't meet God and stay the same. It's impossible. You can't meet God, grow in your faith with God, and still desire the things you used to desire. You can't, you can't meet God and it still be all about you. But that's exactly what the church has become. It's about me. What I want. It's so funny. I run into people all the time. I dread it every freaking time someone posts on Cherokee Connect. Just move to the area and looking for a church. Quit tagging us in that. because I end up having to answer 54 messages on what they're looking for in a church. Do you have a youth group? No. Do you have small groups? No. Do you have Bibles? No. Do y'all do a Wednesday? No. Do you do Sunday school? No. Literally, someone asked me a few weeks ago, do y'all have like a Christian aerobics class? No. My kids used to go to this, this church and they used to go to Christian karate. Do y'all have, no. We don't have a wana. We don't have whatever it is. Here's what we do. We gather together for celebration on Sunday and we serve the rest of the week. Because it's not about us. I'm not against all those things. Let me make this very clear. But we don't do them. We can barely put a Sunday morning service together. You think we can put a youth service together? And the only reason they started doing youth services in churches is because the main service was so boring the kids didn't want to come to it. Guess what? The teenagers want to come to this service. You got a hip pastor like me? Redneck pastor like me? They just come for the shock value. We can barely put a Sunday morning service here. You think I'm going to add a Sunday night and Wednesday night service? Get out of here. Y'all don't listen half the time to what we teach on Sunday morning. So why do you need a Bible study? You're proving you ain't going to do what the Bible says. I just want my kids to learn about God. Then teach them. 
Then teach them about the things of God. That's the problem with our society. You want to put it off on everyone else. She's a change girl. She met God. She met these people. She knew what was about to happen. And she wanted to be part of it. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm one of those all-in people. Like when I'm in with you, I'm all in. Like if I'm rooting for you, if you're my teammate, I'm all in. I want the shoes to match, the shirt that matches, the hat that matches. Now I might two years later have another team, but that's going to be my team. When I'm in, I'm in. I don't understand how, how you can go to a church and not want to be all in. I'm just not wired that way. No offense, I got better things to do with my time. If I didn't pastor this church and I just wanted to go to church, I'd never do it. Now, I found a church I can buy into and be all in. I'm going to be all in. I'm not a sideline sitter. I don't, I don't do good sitting in the stands. I like to get in and get active. And when I met God, I, I, I had my life radically changed by God. I am convinced that I'd not met God, I'd be dead today. I came from a family of addicts. I was on my way to that life, living for myself. And I met God and he radically changed my life. And I've just never gotten over it. People ask me all the time, how long are you going to do that church thing? I guess till I die. This is what God's called me to do. I begged him to let me relieve. I begged him to release me. I'll never forget when Grady, a lot of you don't know Grady. Grady started coming to church here. Grady used to be a pastor, and he started coming to church here. He ended up moving away. But when Grady came here, I thought, God's releasing me. God's going to give this thing to Grady. I, go to, I went to Grady and talked to him about it. Hey, you want that thing? He said, hell no. I said, man, I thought you missed minister. He goes, I could never, pass. I love those people. He goes, but no. He said, you're stuck with them. I guess y'all are stuck with me, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what contest in hell y'all won either. <laughs> Changed. When God changes you, man, it's a whole other level. We see the call girl, we see the change girl, and I'm done right here. I'm going to get you out of here early today. I am. It's 1109. Eyes are getting bad. Sorry. I'm going to have you out of here by 11, 12, 15. Rahab, the completed girl. I love this. She's the call girl. She meets the spies. She confesses that their God is the living God. And instantly, she begins living out her purpose. She was still the harlot. Don't miss this. She was still in the brothel. But she knew instantly she had a purpose in her life. God will give you a purpose. She knew her purpose was bigger than herself. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and my sisters. 
and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. I like how he said that, when God gives us the land. Not when we take it, but God's timing, not our timing. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. So her house was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Check this out, check this out, check this out. She confessed that he was God and she immediately started serving. She didn't have to go to some 10-week class on how to serve. She didn't have to get online and take a spiritual gift test to find out where she'd best serve at. She immediately began to labor for the Lord. She hid the spies. She let them down over the wall. She devised a plan for them to get away. She said, I don't know much, but here's what I know. She knew the layout. She said, they just left. She goes, they're going to be gone three days. That's what they do. They're going to come back in three days. She said, you go out to those woods and you hide for three days. You make sure they get back inside the walls before you go back to your people. That way they don't see you. She goes, they went this way. I'm sending you that way. She made, she was sharp. She began to use the skills that she had. Don't miss this. Because if there's one thing I would assume a prostitute knows is it's human nature how people function. She knew the patterns of what they would do. And she began to use her skills to help these men. She, she had a, a house that was part of the wall. They didn't have to go out the front door and back out through the gate. She waited until it was dark and just dropped a rope out the window and let them down the wall. She knew when the guards wouldn't be looking, she began to labor for the Lord. Some of you have been in church for years and ain't labored for the Lord. And that's why I question whether you know him or not. I don't know. It's not between me and God. It's between you and God. But I don't understand how you can give your life to Christ and not want to use the skills he gave you to advance his kingdom. You're going to grow the church? It ain't my job to grow the church. He grows the church. But he grows the church by using his people who were using their gifts to grow the church. If this church could ever grasp the fact that God's in control and that we're all gifted in certain areas and we begin to use our gifts, guess what? We wouldn't have enough room to hold everybody. Because there's a community out there and they're searching for something. They're looking for something. They look at the church and they see it lacking and they see it wanting. They see it as judgmental. They see it as a bunch of rules. They see it as the cool place to hang out where they spend money on everything and anything instead of reaching the community. They're turned off by the church, but they're looking for something that is real. They're looking for something that's authentic. You know how I know this? You know how I know that Action Church clicks with so many people? We have record numbers of viewers every week and downloads. I was talking to a mega a guy on staff at a mega church recently. And I said, "What are your viewers on your online service?" And he said the number, and it was less than ours. I said, "How many downloads do y'all get on your podcast a week?" And it was less than ours. See, we're that church that people get up in the morning and they want to watch because they like the authenticity of it. But they're too steeped in their religion to actually come because they're afraid of what other people might think of them for coming. That's cool. As you lay in bed today secretly watching, we're glad you are. But God's waiting you to take that next step. 
Because here's the deal, I'm all for online church, but you miss a huge component of church, and that is the brotherhood and the fellowship by not being here. We were made to do life with other people. Online is for when you can't be here. Online is that front door, but there's got to come a time where you take that step and darken the doors of the place. Trust me, it's a whole lot better life. Hmm. She labored for the Lord and she loved the lost. I love this. Not only did she want her life saved, she wanted her family's life saved. She began to have a heart for those who didn't know God. It doesn't say that her brothers and her sisters and her children had confessed God as God yet. But she wanted to make sure they were going to be safe and they were going to be protected because she knew once they saw the hand of God move, they'd be introduced to Christ. When was the last time you had a heart for your lost friends, for those who don't know God? I don't get into where I talk about religion. I didn't mean talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship. You'll sit around the water cooler and talk about your football team. You'll sit around there and talk about God knows you'll let everybody know how you feel about politics. When was the last time you said, man, I don't know what it was, but I met this man named Jesus, and he radically changed my life. I don't know how you can be a Christ follower and not have a heart for those who don't know God. You've heard me use this illustration before. If someone had told you on September 10th that on 9-11, people were going to fly into the Twin Towers, and you were the only person who knew, you'd have done whatever it took to stop people from going into those buildings that day. You wouldn't have cared that they said you were crazy. You wouldn't have cared if it took all your money to get on an airplane to fly for you to do whatever it took to stop it. But we know people are going to die, and when they die, they're either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to a place called hell. And we're passive about it. We know the answer. And we know that the answer is lacking out there in most churches because they're doing everything and anything but preaching Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the answer to Every problem there is, not religion, not church, Jesus. But we want to talk about everything and anything instead of Jesus. <laughs> she loved the law. She wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. That's why Action Church exists. I remember what I was before Jesus. <laughs> Listen to me, Rahab the harlot, the whore, the prostitute. I wonder what would happen if a modern-day Rahab walked into the average church. I doubt she'd be used. But they took the city of Jericho because of the whore. Now the men said to her, this is the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land, unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house in the streets, their blood will be on their own hands. We will not be responsible. As far as those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head. A hand is laid on them. But if you tell them what we're doing, we will be released from the oath. You made us swear. To Greece, you replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord to the window. They said, here's what we need you to do. We need to take the scarlet cord and tie it to the window because God's told us to march around the walls. And we want to see that, that cord, that scarlet cord hanging down. That way when the walls come down, we know that part doesn't need to come down. 
And I find that interesting because the scarlet was seen as a wicked color. Red was wicked back then. If you, if you wore red, I mean, we're still that way. Someone's got red high heels on, we're like, oop, girl. When you go out on date night, you put that red lipstick on, girls. I don't know what it is about red. When they got the red lipstick on, guys, you know it's bam, chicka, wow, wow, tonight it's going to be a good night. You come home and she's got like that brown lipstick on, you think, you ain't thinking nothing. When the red lipstick's on, woo! Mmm. Seems appropriate. She's a hooker. Her place was in the red light district. And yet she hung the red cord, the scarlet cord out there as a reminder of what she once was. <laughs> the scarlet thread also that she hung out there was also a beautiful picture to me of the blood of Christ. We're saved because he shed his blood. She was saved because she put the red scarlet cord out there. When the spies left Rahab, she was tying that cord in her window. All she had was the promise of the scarlet cord. All she had was the promise, and she was believing that it would be kept. Short time later, the Israel... Lights invaded Canaan. They came to Jericho and they marched around the city once every day for six days. And the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. So 13 laps around the city. Because God told you, you only have to go to war. All you got to do is march around the city and the walls will fall. 13 times. And every time they walked around that wall, 13 times, they saw that scarlet cord hanging down. It was testifying to them as they walked around. It was a reminder to them. They were reminding being reminded of the promise they made to her. But I think it was also a promise, a reminder of the promise God had made to them that he'd give them the wall. It, it reminded them, hey, God's already working in the city. Every time they walked around, they completed that seventh lap on that last day and the walls fell and one part of the wall stayed. And there was Rahab with her family inside. She was the harlot saved by scarlet. Man. God can and will use anyone who's willing to be used. So eliminate your excuses. Be willing to be used. Call girl became the change girl who became the completed girl who went on to be listed in Hebrews in what's called the Hall of Faith. That's pretty good. Don't tell me God can't use you. He used Rahab. Let's pray.